Welcome to the Smart Tech Check Podcast, hosted by Mark Vina, your home for candid, insightful, and provocative conversations about the smart home, home automation, security, smartphones, PC and console gaming, and much more. Hello, everyone. My name is Mark Vina, host of the Smart Tech Check Podcast. Today is Friday, October 27, 2023. Joining me for today's podcast are John Quain, who writes for the New York Times, Smart Cities, and Tom's Guide, Stuart Walpin, who scribes for Popular Mechanics, AARP, Techlicious, Investopedia, and other terrific publications, and Rob Pegarero, who writes about tech developments at PC Mag, Fast Company, and other publications. Guys, ha- happy to have all of you today on a great, uh, what should be a great uh, podcast. How are each of you doing? Day one of the World Series. I'm a baseball fan and very excited. Right. Even yeah. if the teams aren't great. Should be a good world. Uh, any predictions, Stuart? I mean, you think it's going to go seven games? I, I think, think Texas is the better team, but I'm a National League fan. So I'm, and I have friends who live in Phoenix. So I, there you go. I know, John. You don't. You could give a a, a, a Hershey bar about uh, baseball, so I'm not going to even ask you, Rob. Do you have a, a dog in the hunt? Yeah, I mean, good friend of mine lives in Dallas. Uh, another good friend lives around Phoenix, so the friendship rooting ties are kind of here or there. Uh, you know, the the Rangers used to be the Washington Senators, so I don't know if I should dislike them for that or not. <laughs> On the other hand, they've got our old friend Max Scherzer, so. Uh, I'm hoping it's lots of interesting games, some some unusual double plays. That'd be nice. Rob, when you say Washington Senators, you know I love the theater. I can't – Stuart, you'll know this. I think Damn Yankees. Yankees. Damn Yankees. Uh, you know, which they yeah. should revive. Well, they did revive it a long time Joe ago. Hardy. Joe it's Hardy. Joe Hardy. For some reason, it's not available on TCM or anything else. I, I'd love to sure. see it again. Yeah, the, the movie version is not it's pretty faithful, you know, to the uh, to the original stage version. The guy who was a, who was a bre- the breakout actor was was um uh Ray um Walston, the guy that was in my favorite Martian, he played the devil. He did the the, the stage version and he did the movie version. And mm-hmm. I th- and I believe they filmed the movie version at where the, the Senators played during the 50s. It was a Griffith Stadium, yeah. And Bob Fosse of Chicago mm-hmm. fame, did all the choreography. That's why, that's why the, his uh, wife, Gwen Verdon, plays Lola. Yeah, that's, that's exactly right. Boy, Stuart, I, I'm always impressed with your tri- knowledge of even theater trivia as well. I'll, I'll, I'll pay Bob Fosse for $200, Alex. Well, uh, and John is like, Mark, can we get, can we get going? I'm just going to do my so what I really think is going to be big news that I want to talk about for a little while is, you know, Qualcomm had their um, annual summit in good old Hawaii um, earlier in the week, and they announced this new Snapdragon X Elise Elite SOC announcement. And I really think it's a big deal. You know, I mean, the, the, the ARM category for Windows PCs have been around for a while, not with a whole lot of success. I, I think part of it has been that uh, the SOC ARM solutions that have been out there, including the solutions, the existing ones from uh, from uh, Qualcomm, have been kind of lackluster from a performance standpoint. They're really, you know, they're good for, you know, typical lightweight Windows applications like email and other things. But, you know, ARM has a lot of limit, some limitations, which we'll talk about. But what I thought was interesting about this is that if you watch the announcement, they were absolutely giddy on stage. Now, they showed a lot of impressive benchmarks. Their benchmarks, they really were kind of going after Apple with M2. M3 is not out yet. We'll see if that happens on Monday, and we're going to talk about that shortly. Right. But here's the question I want to pose to you. I, I mean, I really think the hardware is going to be there. I don't think Qualcomm would have uh, made such a big deal out of this. 
uh, from a performance standpoint, unless they really thought some, they had something uh, um, coming, you know, with with this new integration of this, I think it's called the um, the Orion CPU, which is the the, the central process CPU unit ingredient um, element of the um, SOC itself. It's got neural processing capability, which will make it great for AI uh, related applications. It's got a, um, a great graphics component, so it should do quite well from a graphics performance standpoint. So I think this is the real deal. The question I have for each of you, is it not the silicon that will be the problem, but the fact that this still runs on on an ARM-based version of Windows? You know, the x86 version of Windows has been around forever, and one of the great virtues of x86 architectures is it's incredibly backward compatible, and, you know, especially if you're using all kinds of um, legacy USB devices and other type of things. You know, if you're an IT manager, you have a pretty good feeling that it's going to work, but is that going to be an, it, it, until ARM, the ARM version of Windows becomes much more comfortable with a lot of people? Now, maybe fine for consumers, but do you think that that, that, that they have to overcome the whole, you know, that that, that the ARM version of Windows is ready for prime time before you know before we see a ramp here? So, Stuart, let me start with you. Well, I mean, it's really funny that the the inexorable movement to ARM has been going on for. Um, a long time. I remember going to a Texas Instruments conference 20 years ago, and they were talking about whether ARM could ever be used on the on, on desktop PCs. But the problem that ARM, the ARM architecture and, and all of these efforts, you know that also NVIDIA is working towards an ARM-based CPU product yes. as well. Oh, yeah. um, so, I mean, this is this is an inexorable movement, but there is an inherent problem in all of these, especially when you're talking about getting into competition with Apple M2 and M3, is the software to CPU relationship. Obviously, Apple has this huge advantage that they can do the software, the OS, and the chip at the same time. And right. so both are optimized at the same time, but none of these companies have the kind of relationship with Microsoft, nor does Microsoft, I think, want them to. Um, so there's always going to be the sticking point between how well the software works with the chip architecture. And because they're all done by different companies, they're at an inherent disadvantage when it comes down to really making sure that the the processing and and the speed and the and the battery life are all as well integrated as apple has been able to do with their chip and operating system but, but, let, but let me stop you there for one second if, um i don't know whether you you, you you saw the launch but microsoft their ceo was front and center being interviewed by um i think it was he was interviewed by cristiano the the qualcomm uh, ceo and I don't, you know, I think Microsoft knows that this is where the world is headed. Now, this is, by the way, not good news for for Intel. You know, Intel it still has seventy five share of the of the x eighty six Windows space. That that ain't going to be seventy five percent. You know, two years from now, three years from now, because if Nvidia gets in the game, AMD is going to is obviously in the game with their own SOC ARM based. Um, well, actually, I think there's an, there is an x eighty six solution. It's, it's not an ARM solution, which is interesting. Right. Uh, but right. the, I guess my point is competition doesn't um, drive prices up. It drives prices down. It drives uh, from a competition standpoint. So I think you're right, Stuart, but I also think Microsoft knows where the puck is going. Oh, know? sure. I, I, I don't disagree with that, but there's still a big difference between one company doing both and competing companies trying to work together. I think that's right. an errant issue. I'm not saying it can't be overcome. Microsoft is not going to only work with Qualcomm. I mean, in, Qualcomm is nothing in this market at the moment. 
You know, it's all Intel, AMD, and NVIDIA coming up on the rail. You know, so I mean, Microsoft will get in, excuse the expression, get in bed with any of these guys to make their systems better for everybody, but it's, they're still that, they're still competing companies. Yeah. No, John, what are your thoughts, your perspective? I'm I'm a little skeptical right now of, of, of pretty much every claim they made. You know, th- this was to um, yeah. a pretty uh, welcoming, positive audience. There wasn't a lot of serious people there to cover it. That was that's one issue I have with it. The other are, are you is- are you saying analysts are not serious people? <laughs> <laughs> okay, everybody on this podcast, John Quain just insulted me and the entire uh, analyst community, but that's okay. I get that, John. So there wasn't, you know, there isn't any independent testing of it gone on. What, you know, one of the issues with, uh, you know, SOC used to always be, well, like flexibility, reference design, stuff like that. Now it's, you know, cost. The, the SOC is a much more accepted kind of architecture. But, you know, it's a little scattershot, too. You know, last year, two years ago, it was they wanted to be in cars and that was what they were going to aim these chips at. And that was going to be the next big thing, et cetera, et cetera. Now it's like, oh, I, I want to be in laptops. And, you know, post pandemic, I want to be in laptops. And, oh, there's this generative AI. It's going to run AI and it runs it faster than anybody else. And I can show this on stage. And I mean, none of us run AI that way right now. No one does. It's all online. So that was kind of a bogus demo. The other thing about generative AI and large language models is, that software changes day to day. So building it into your chip to run algorithms, DSP, digital signal processing, maybe you can get some advantage. Not not convinced at all in any way that any of those things is going to actually pan out when we get a chip in a laptop, let alone anything else. Um, you know, they have it nailed down in, in smartphones. That that's that's them. Trying to get into these other markets, a whole different game. I'm not convinced um, yet that they're that they're there. Um, and especially that AI stuff. I mean, those are sort of fanciful claims. We'll see what it's well, like. Well, I, I mean, they're, they're arguing, I think Microsoft would argue uh, vis-a-vis uh, Copilot that they're making Copilot such an integral part of Windows. It's kind of like, you know, you flash back 25 years when Internet Explorer became a deal and, you know, Bill Gates famously said, hey, we're going to pivot the entire company toward the Internet, um, which was interesting because that that, uh, really changed the face of Windows going forward. But I think they really see AI as a key enabling capability within the operating system. And I do think that, you know, that any kind of embedded technology that aids in that request. Now, keep in mind, Qualcomm is going down the path of allowing you to do a lot of these large language models offline. You don't have to necessarily be connected to the internet. Um, and right. there's there's some interesting usage models that come of that because if you're in areas where, where broadband is not good and you don't have great connectivity, you wanna be able to have that capability without having a, a, an always connected thing. But the question I have for you, Rob, is that, you know, you, you know, I, I know you're kind of a Mac guy, but you've gone back and forth between, um, you know, Windows right and- in front of me, Windows on the right. Uh, Exactly. Thank you. you. Want to do some special effects for us to advertise us, oh, uh, <laughs> But I guess the question I have is that when you when you would counsel a friend or a colleague, thank you for that. I appreciate that. Apple appreciate it. For those of you on the podcast, macOS Sonoma, if you do certain gestures in any video calling app, not just FaceTime, uh, if you do a peace sign, you get balloons. Thumbs up gets you um, 
you know, two thumbs that will get you fireworks yeah. in the background. It's fun. Although if you don't know what's coming, it may <laughs> freak you out. Well, FYI. Yeah. And there are other gestures that, 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 that the robbers not tried, supported, but, yes. but, but are not supported. We would go, we won't go into those, but Rob, the, the question I have for you is that if you put you like all of us, we have friends, colleagues, relatives that approach us. Hey, should I go out and buy this? Would you, would you hold up making a, a recommendation, whether it's Qualcomm solution or someone else's uh, solution that has an arm solution? Would you, would, would you, uh, would it give you any pause to say, Hey, yeah, go out and buy this new Dell or H HP was on the was on the uh, the Qualcomm um, at the Qualcomm yep. event. They've committed to as it. it happens. I, I spent a good like nine months using a Lenovo laptop with the older Qualcomm desktop right. CPU, the Snapdragon uh, 8CX Gen 3. Yes. They got to work on these names. Yeah. And uh, number one, it was not particularly fast compared to other laptops. Slower than some newer laptops with Intel processors. The battery life was good, but not awesome. And the thing I was surprised to find, most software worked fine. Couldn't tell a huge amount of difference. But one company in particular, Google, they haven't shipped Chrome to, in an ARM architecture, which meant it was a little bit slower and definitely used up more of the battery. It was a meaningful dent in battery life to set uh, just stream videos off YouTube, Napster Live. It's a great bit of background programming to have. It was like an hour less if I did that in Chrome versus Microsoft's Edge, which had been rewritten as an ARM binary. And two other apps like the, the nearby share app you can use to beam a file from your Android phone to your Windows PC doesn't run on ARM. And the basic VPN you get for free if you pay for Google Extra Storage, that app won't even install in Windows running on an ARM PC. So the company who support can, can really make a difference is not Microsoft, but Google. And I don't know what they have. <laughs> it's like they're trying to sandbag uh, non-Intel Intel processors. That's what it looks like sometimes. So I think if you're a non-technical user and if the phrases like nearby share and VPN app left you thinking, huh, then look at the price. If battery life is your priority, it seems that Qualcomm is off to a good start. I'd want to see some reviews of these laptops coming out with this chip. Is it really that good? Is it the sort of noticeable, huge improvement that people saw when Apple went to Apple Silicon? Right. So let, let, let's go to the next topic here because this is very much related to that. Um, Apple has this scary fast event. Got to love that. I think we just lost John, but he'll come back on the podcast, I'm sure. Um, you know, the, it, it's you got to love Apple. I mean, this event is at 5 p.m. Pacific time on Monday, um, 8 o'clock out on the East Coast. And... I mean, again, the, the rumors are that they're going to refresh the MacBook Pro line, uh, probably with introducing this M3 and a, a, um, a Pro model, uh, sorry, a standard model and probably a Max model, very similar to what they have right now. And, and I, Stuart, I think you said it, is that, you know, I want to see what the benchmarks look like against M3 and, um, uh, and uh, this new uh, Snapdragon solution from Qualcomm. You know, it... Uh, I, the, the more, the, the, again, if you take it at face value, the, the, the benchmarks they were showing, and they were very high level, very, you know, kind of Dr. Seuss-like <laughs> benchmarks, uh, you know, they showed dramatic, you know, 60, 70, 80% improvements in, in battery life and, and, and processing power compared to M2. Now, that has to shrink, obviously, when, when, when uh, they moved to M3, but um, 
But I agree with, I think John said it, all of you guys said it. I mean, we got to see what the benchmarks really look like. You can't take a benchmark Ob from a vendor. Objective, objective benchmarks, not companies' own benchmarks. Right. I got John back on the podcast. John, we were making fun of you, just so you know. Uh, <laughs> uh, um, so, John, let me just get you in here before you drop out again. Uh, you know, we, Apple's doing this, you know, doing this big, fair, scary, fast event on um, Monday. The 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 the, uh, the money is on them refreshing the MacBook line with the M3. Any perspective other than what I just mentioned a moment ago? I don't know if you heard me say it, but that hey, this is where the I think the benchmark comparison needs to be versus the new Qualcomm Snapdragon stuff. So any any thoughts, John? I think John froze up. So we have to reboot him. Give him a sec. I'm, I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna remove him and he'll come back on. I'm sure. <laughs> so, uh, Rob, same question for you. Uh, so I'll tell you what I am hoping to see has nothing to do with a laptop or a desktop. Apple needs to get rid of its last peripherals that still use the stupid lightning connector. Like for instance, this keyboard here, which I have to recharge using a lightning the USB C cable, even though there is nothing special lightning does for charging a device. Uh, the uh, other I'll, throw, I'll, I'll throw something. I'll throw something else into the mix. My five hundred dollar oh, AirPod Maxes, you know, and that stupid mouse. Number one, get the lightning port out of that thing and don't put it on the bottom so I can use it while it's charging. That's all I ask. I don't really care what else they introduce. I'm sure they'll have very nice new computers that will provide good value for customers who find that they meet their needs. Right. At, at lofty price points. You see, that, that that's the yeah. other thing that just drives me crazy is that, I mean, because I'm probably, I have an M1 Max. I love it, you know, but it's two years old probably will refresh it and that's going to be a $3,500 or $4,000 upgrade for me versus by the way, a comparable call. Let's say the Qualcomm solution is up to snuff and it's actually a good compare. You're not going to see a lot of $4,000 laptops with the, with the Qualcomm capability. They'll be much more affordable, but you know, I'm, I'm, I'm talking to the peanut gallery when I make those kind of comments, John, before you, you cut out, do you have any expectations for, for the Apple event? Oh, I think I, I think there's a lot of uh, I, there's a lot more excitement I think for this one actually oddly enough than there was for like the the new iPhone. I mean I think that the people are looking at this going they want more performance and they wanted there was something they were missing. At least that's the read I get from from people looking at this event. I think it actually will be something expensive. You're right, yeah, but something that is is worthwhile probably in a, in one way more than the the iphone upgrades were so i think there'll be more buzz about this but yeah pricey hard to justify that these days but um, that, that's a, that's an entirely different discussion that i will not get into because <laughs> you'll, you'll, you'll 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 shut down the podcast right now so Stuart, what what's your closing thoughts on this topic Do you have any expectations beyond the, oh, the, the well, it's not that I have expectations. I like Rob. I have desires that are not going to get met. I I am right <laughs> now really. talking <laughs> to you on a 2016 27 inch iMac, and for some reason Apple discontinued their 27 inch iMacs, and I can't use a 24 inch. I need a bigger screen, and I also need a lot of RAM. And so far, I'm stuck with getting a studio or a mini. 
if I want to get the kind of power and buying a separate display. So I'm sort of hoping, even though I not, know they're not going to do, if they introduce a 32-inch iMac I, that would with an M3, that would please me to no great end. Again, it would be very expensive. But I, I really would like to upgrade my 2016 desktop if I can. I also found it very, very curious, not, not that I have a bulletin board with uh, push pins and newspaper clippings and red thread connecting everything, but the fact that they suddenly announced this event right after Qualcomm made their Elite X announcement. So I think this is, a, you know, I don't know if this is hurried necessarily, but I'm sure there was some industrial espionage going on um, that Apple said, well, you know, basically saw what Qualcomm was going to do and, and decided they had to go, oh, yeah, well, look at what we're doing. So I, I think so, there's so you're, you're you're accusing Apple of corporate espionage. I can't believe it. Good old yeah, honest Qualcomm Apple. engineers reported losing a laptop in a bar sometime lately, a test device, perhaps. <laughs> <laughs> Well, hey guys, well, let's, I, like I said, I'm I'm hoping for a bigger iMac. I'll take a, a a more powerful M3. Well, let's hit the next topic. You know, Rob, leave it to you to come up with a topic that's a really <laughs> near and close to our hearts. Is a topic about the IRS. I know I saw your piece, by the way, about this this direct file project. I know your heart bleeds for the IRS, you know, and you and you're not a big fan of Turbo into we it. All of our three letter government but, agencies, don't we? <laughs> So, yeah, so talk to us about what this actually is. So this is a, a project that uh, was set in motion by the Inflation Reduction Act as part of the tax provision said the IRS should develop and test a project to let people prepare and file their taxes online. The IRS has gone ahead and done that. Direct file is going to start as a sort of invite only beta and they'll expand it to a broader group of taxpayers. A bunch of limits like me and all of my 1099s rule it out because it doesn't handle Schedule C income. It's basically for people who would either be filing the 1040 EZ or, or might use the free version of TurboTax if they can sort of navigate the way through that. The interesting part is, number one, the entire strategy of Intuit and other tax prep vendors for the last couple of decades has been uh, essentially a level of regulatory capture. They, they've told the federal government, state governments, we'll provide our, our apps for free to taxpayers under a certain gross income if you promise not to compete with us, which is a weird thing to say. Like, aren't you in favor of competition? Are you worried that, you know, the IRS is going to outcompete you and use your interface? Because yeah, the 1040 is such a great UI. Everyone loves that. Yeah. And uh, there was a little, there was a time where the IRS was about to get that written into law, not just a, a signed agreement between, sorry, Intuit was about to get that written into a upcoming law where the IRS would be barred from developing any, any kind of tax prep system. So now they're going to do that. And um, the quote I got from this Intuit publicist after the fact was really kind of unhinged. It was the sort of thing where you'd look at it, you'd be like, this guy is big mad. He was saying like, oh, if you're if you're a gig economy worker, expect to get audited. Like, dude, I said in the story, this doesn't work for freelance and gig, gig economy workers. Uh, the IRS is going to spend billions of dollars citation needed sir um and yeah you want you should want government services to be approachable you shouldn't have to use a third party product just to do a basic right of citizenship uh i'm a little cranky about this because here in my state of virginia 
into it, got the General Assembly to buy into this free file nonsense. The state retired what was a perfectly good tax prep app called iFile that I'd happily used for years. Uh, and instead, they switched everyone to this free file system that Intuit no longer participates in. So I now file my taxes on paper because I'm not paying Intuit $40 for what is a simple form. Form 760 in Virginia, you don't need a tax prep app to do it. So yeah, right. I it should be easier to pay your taxes. I don't know that the IRS will do a good job of it. But if they don't, people can pay to use TurboTax or whatever other app they use. It's a free market. So, so Rob, so let me just challenge, not challenge you because you're a good guy. I don't, I don't challenge, challenge you. Rob and I, no. You know, you know, my concern is is that the federal government, especially, doesn't have a rep, a great reputation when it comes to creating great websites. Remember Obamacare? That was a nightmare. You know, you and I could. I, I, you and I, you, yeah, I mean, right. and you know, for, and this, you know, most websites in the federal government are really about information and downloading forms. There's not a lot of you know calculation and doing what a TurboTax app. You know that which is a for-profit company into it's a for-profit company. They have a mo they have a motivation for making sure that their website works properly, that their tool works properly. And as you know, IRS tax rules you know change all the time up until almost the last moment. And do you really think as the IRS gets more sophisticated with this? And right now, the from what you said, you know it's really for really basic people are, are basic tax filing. But you have to believe that over time. It will get much more complex. There'll be a, a demand for, hey, I want to do, you know, uh, more 1099-based type of filings where I have expenses and I you know, schedule A and you know, et cetera, et cetera. Do you really think the federal, the IRS, is up to that from a from a from a from an execution standpoint? I think the government can do that because what you've seen in sites developed uh, under the Obama administration, they set up two different projects, 18F and the U.S. Digital Service, that have done really good work. It was basically a response recognizing that hiring the traditional government contractors to develop healthcare gov was a disaster. Let's do it better, faster, more responsive. So you look at, for instance, login.gov, which is a really well done site to log your some of the various agencies, the IRS not yet among them, and that whole ID.me debacle. It is certainly possible. And on the other hand, I've been using TurboTax to do my taxes as a self-employed professional for the last basically 10 years, once I figured I'd, I'd learned enough from the tax prep guy, I was paying to do this work for me. And yeah, there, there's lots of areas where it could be better. Like it took for years for them to sort of decide that, oh yeah, you should just be able to like upload a PDF and have them pluck the numbers off of it instead of me having to type things in one at a time if it wasn't a supported partner where you could just ingest the data. Uh, so, you know, Intuit, they're not necessarily masters of the user interface. And yeah, if it turns out the IRS, if direct file is terrible, and it won't do well in the market, so be it. Then we'll have that vote. It is much better than one actor in the market getting another one to just not enter it at all. That, right. that I believe the phrase is crony capitalism. And I know you love that phrase, crony capitalism. <laughs> so it is uh, actually uh, useful. <laughs> it looks like John disappeared, but so you'll have to take us home, Stuart. On, the on IRS your, took him offline. Well, you guys may be a little bit young, but the government's Medicare website is fabulous. Um, I've never had a stick of problem with the Medicare uh, website. So the government does do some websites quite well. And this is the IRS is a pilot program. It's only in 13 states. 
and it's only doing federal. They haven't added in, I think, the state ones yet, if Rob will correct me if I'm wrong about this. But Some quite of the frankly, have their own tax prep and they're sort of working with the IRS. States that don't have a state income tax like Texas or Florida, people can use the direct file app if they want because there's no other hang up afterwards. Right. But on, on, a on a larger scale, quite frankly, the private industry bitching and moaning that government is stepping into their territory is a very old story dating all the way back to when the gas, uh, when the uh, whale oil and kerosene business protested about municipalities installing gas lines. And then the gas company, the, the private gas companies complaining when municipalities wanted to install electric lines. And when private fire departments and garbage collectors bitched and moaned when municipalities took over fire and established fire and sanitation departments, the tele private telegraph companies, Western Union, bitched and moans when telephone lines were being put in by municipalities. Railroads bitched and moaned when standard time was introduced by the federal government. Private radio companies bitched and moaned when the FCC said the government owns the airways and you have to get a license to be on the air. So this is this is such an old story of private companies bitching and moaning when the government decides that they want to step in and standardize things, make it easier for consumers. Again, this is a pilot program. It's not like Obamacare where they launched everything at one time. They're going. It sounds like they're doing this as carefully as possible. They're not outlawing anybody on the private side. I can still go to my accountant and get my taxes done, and he can file them, you know, e-file them for me. So I think this is not a bad thing that the government is trying to make it easier and simple for people not to have to pay to pay their taxes. Well, I'll have to wait to see uh, uh, Rob have um, somebody in his family file a return using the service. Um, again, I, I agree with all of that conceptually. It's just that the, 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 the and, I, and by the way, on the Medicaid and Medicare website, which I have not used myself yet, I, I'm sure I will one day. Medicaid and Medicare have been around for how long? 50 or 60 years. So they've had a little bit of time. Well, yeah, but the, the ability to put it online has not been around that long. And when they initially launched it, and again, I've been using it for three or four years, um, it, 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 is, it, is, it is quite good. The Medicare website is quite good, and so is the Social Security website. They are both good. And those are all more or less recent technologies that the government decided to offer, um, despite how long the programs themselves have been around. Well, we'll have to leave it there. Hope springs eternal. We'll see if that, if this this capability does work out. And Rob, I'm sure you'll be back to a report on that. Guys, thanks for taking the time to join me for today's podcast. For our viewing and listening audience, Thanks for making the Smart Tech Check podcast part of your day or commute. Please make sure that you hit the like and subscribe buttons at the end of today's podcast or use these convenient um, on-screen QR codes. Let me flash them up there. Uh, so you can follow us uh, and follow my podcast. You can also follow me on, on X, formerly known as Twitter, at Mark Vina Tech Guy. And until next time, have a great uh, week uh, weekend. And guys, thanks for uh, calling in. Thank you.